0: Good Tuesday morning, guys. My name is Jerry Miller, and this is the Jerry and Jerry Show. Thank you kindly for joining us. We are live in downtown Charlottesville, Virginia, a couple of miles from Scott Stadium, and the mood and the cheer is positive and bright this chilly Tuesday morning. UVA football gets a monumental victory against Chapel Hill, against UNC in Chapel Hill. What a win! For this football team. And if you take a look on screen, you'll see some of the headlines we'll cover today with the star of our program, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, a man equipped and experienced to answer questions like: Is this the greatest road victory in program history? We'll talk Tony Elliott and what this victory does for job security. We'll highlight Superman Mike Collins and ask the question. Does Superman wear number seven? And we'll take a look at Tony Bennett's boys in this Virginia basketball program. ACC Media Day is tomorrow. Judah Witkower, our Elmer's glue behind the scenes, the man who keeps this, this show and this network together, the director and producer. If we can go to the studio camera and welcome our star, the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer Jerry hootie Ratcliffe in Chapel Hill on Saturday evening. My friend, what a victory.
1: Quite a victory, Jerry. I'm, I'm, and I don't think hardly anybody saw this one coming at all, because I, um, uh, I have a guy named Andrew Jones, who's publisher of Tar Heel Illustrated, who's, we usually do a podcast before every Virginia-North Carolina football-basketball game. And, and Andrew is a guy who is uh, so honest about things. and. Even when Virginia, uh, in past years, when Virginia didn't have much of a chance, he would say, well, you know, they could exploit this or that from Carolina and all that. But uh, even he and I talking off air before our podcast the other day said, he said, I've looked at this from every angle, uh, Hootie, and he said, I honestly can't find one way that, that Virginia can win this game. And uh, he, he was being totally honest. I couldn't either. And uh, and, I, and we finally agreed on the point that if if anything got in, in Carolina's way, it would be Carolina, which turned out to be somewhat prophetic. Uh, you know, Mac Brown. I think we talked about it on the show last week. Mac Brown told his players a story he had learned when he was at Texas about don't eat the poison cheese. <laughs> And he did end up hanging uh, little pieces of cheese on every locker that week to remind them that uh, you're probably not as good as your clippings. So you know, take Virginia seriously. Uh, don't let yourself drop your guard. And and some of that uh, occurred. Uh, you know, he, he came out yesterday and and fell on the sword and, and took the blame for the loss, but for not having his team ready, but. You look back upon it, and, and and it wasn't because he didn't warn them. That's for sure. They, they had proper warning that yeah, you could get upset if you're not careful, and,
0: and they didn't listen. They didn't listen. They didn't listen. Mike Collins, will start with him. Three touchdown performance for Superman, who wears number seven. Tony Musket, 20 of 30. He did have a pick. He did have a touchdown. The offensive line really showed up. Um, against UNC. I was very impressed with the offensive line. Let's cut to the chase. Drake May, the gunslinger for UNC, was not his NFL caliber self. He still had a hell of a line. Uh, two touchdowns a pick three hundred and forty seven through the air, but it was the twenty four of forty eight and the missing of wide open wide receivers that had many watching the game or in person in Chapel Hill asking what the heck is going on here first i 'd love to highlight the positives. Do you start in the trenches with the offensive line
1: yeah, and well, I think you actually have to start in the in the meeting rooms in the over at the McHugh Center where the coaches put together a, a brilliant game plan really Um, I think that these guys saw something on film that nobody else has seen this year when they studied North Carolina you you can't tell me that as as well as Virginia's offensive line played you can't tell me that these guys magically transformed from a team that couldn't block NC State and Boston College to all of a sudden dominating a lot of scrimmage against a a defense like North Carolina. they I know Mac Brown had tried to dispel the notion around college football that his team was soft, <clears throat> and they had done a, a pretty good job of that. But I, I think these guys in their film study, these UVA coaches, I think they found something in there that that they could exploit because Des Kitchens told us after the game that he felt like that Virginia could run on Carolina. and Carolina had only given up 130 yards a game on the ground Virginia rushed for almost almost double that uh, in Keenan Stadium uh, when Carolina had everything to win uh, I mean you know people were talking about college football playoffs about being in the ACC championship game against Florida State so the fact that Virginia was able to control the the line of scrimmage and run the football down Carolina's throats was massive. That I thought that was the whole key to the game, because if you can run the ball like that, you can control pretty much everything. And Virginia had the ball a lot longer time of possession than Carolina did. Kept Greg May off the field and um, did everything they had to do. But but you, kudos to the offensive line because they did uh, they did open holes for these guys. And uh, it made a huge difference. That, that, yeah they
0: they should get a they should get a game ball for what they did. Absolutely, Hootie Ratcliffe dropping dimes here. The time of possession: UVA thirty seven minutes and six seconds. UNC, twenty-two minutes and fifty-four seconds, dominating time of possession. And Jerry Ratcliffe is exactly right. Fifty-four carries for two hundred and twenty-eight net yards on the ground for UVA football. A buck forty-three on the ground for UNC. Viewers and listeners, you can all for comments. And we will relay them live on air. Let's go to Keswick, Virginia. Stephanie Wells Rhodes watching the program of the Interstate Service Company family, a mm-hmm. Holmes best friend. She says, fellas, my husband swore we were going to win all day Saturday. He said we were due. I wish we would have put some money on it. So proud of our team. Go Wahoos. That's from Keswick, Virginia. Kevin Yancey, he loves to play the bear. There's always a bear in the room. He says a blind hog still finds acorns occasionally. He's watching in Waynesboro right now. Rob Craig, you see him from time to time, uh, right there on Press Row um, at UVA basketball games. He says when you consider ranking records... Point spread, doesn't this have to be considered the biggest upset, most improbable win in UVA football history? You put the headlines on screen for Jerry Hootie-Rackliff. That's literally what we talked about in our pre-production meeting. Is this, i got a two-part question for you, and I'm going to echo what Rob Craig said. Is this the greatest road victory in UVA football history? And then I'm going to echo what he said. Is this the biggest upset, most improbable win in UVA history?
1: Well, uh, probably so, because uh, you consider the circumstances, and even though we're not, it's going to be interesting to see how this season pans out, whether Carolina uh, continues to win and ends up doing everything that they wanted to do, or if they just kind of become another mediocre background Brown football team, that's yet to be determined. And so that could take, some of the, that could tarnish some of what Virginia accomplished but uh, in today's perspective as we speak in real time it was massive. Um, since they've been keeping polls there's there's been nothing like this in Virginia history. It's the first time they've beaten a top 10 team on the road ever uh, again since they started polls. Um, in my study and research to write the Virginia history football book, Uh, there were two massive upset wins back in the day. Um, One, they beat Penn in Philadelphia uh, back, I think it was in the 40s, and uh, it was a massive upset because Virginia had never beaten Penn. Back in those days, uh, the first 50, 60, 70 years of college football The Ivies were uh, essentially considered, excuse me, uh, the SEC of of college football back in those days, along with Notre Dame and Army and Navy. But uh, that was a massive win. I I think uh, talking to some Virginia players who uh, were part of that, I think that was during the Art Gap era. Virginia fans and Virginia players tore up the team hotel in Philadelphia so bad they were told to never come back again in their wild celebration. So that was quite a win. And um, believe it or not, back in the, uh, I guess it was the late 80s when Virginia was celebrating their 100th year of football, I was fortunate enough to interview uh, the oldest living Cavalier at the time. He was in his late 90s, I believe, and I'm trying to remember his name. They they named a building after him over at the hospital. Um, and I, Claude, um, gosh, it'll probably come to me later. Um, he played on the 19, I believe 15 team, believe it or not, that went to Yale in the Yale Bowl uh, again, that was like beating Alabama on the road in those days. Was it Claude Moore? Just Claude Moore. Google Dr. search right there. Dr. Claude Moore. Okay. Uh, I interviewed him in his hospital bed over, I think, at Blue Ridge. And um, he'd become, a, I think, a billionaire. He bought all the land that Dulles Airport sets on now, uh, all that property up in northern Virginia but he uh he was an offensive lineman i believe on that 1915 team and they uh stunned yale on the road and um he was telling me about that game so uh, th- those were two uh road wins that shouldn't be forgotten but uh in modern times uh again since they started doing polls i think sometime in the late 40s or maybe early 50s i can't re- recall but uh yeah there's no question this was the biggest road win without without a doubt and uh i mean they had their chances back um i guess in 95 george welsh's team when they should have beaten texas on the road they got uh they got shafted by the officials i think from the southwest conference because there was at least one field goal that should have been called good that those officials waved off as bad, and there were some other questionable calls in that game. It's the only time in my career I've really thought that uh, game officials were cheating for the for the home team, and that, that I think that might have been the last year of the Southwest Conference, so they had nothing to lose. But and then that same year, they opened up the season at Michigan and uh, lost on the last, essentially the last play of the game, uh, in the, with that. Tight rope catch in the end zone to beat them uh, at the big house. So uh, they had opportunities in the past, but they something always prevented it. But uh, they made it to, when James Jackson stepped up and, and intercepted that lame duck pass after Paula Carey had uh, hammered Drake May, forced a bad throw. That would, They didn't leave any doubt. Um, a massive win considering they were uh, 23 point. 23, 24 point underdogs playing on the road at a place where they haven't won a lot over the years. Was and one and five? Yeah, we're one and five on the season. Only of, Victory,
0: William Mary. <laughs>
1: a lot of people were expecting one and 11 out of this team, if that much. And, um, you know, Mac Brown, Hall of Fame coach, he has a Heisman quarterback, uh, he a pro wide receiver. Pro, to at least one, maybe yeah. two. Really good running game, Um, defense better. Uh, These guys were looking to play, you know, go on to run the table and and possibly win the uh, win the ACC championship game. They they still could do that uh, and make the college football playoffs. So they had everything in the world going in their favor, and for Virginia to march into that stadium and come out with the win was just mind-boggling shocking i i, I was stunned and and uh I, i've seen a lot of things that have surprised me with this program over the years and football in general but th- that was stunning without to say the least that, fit- that's under, under it. it is stunning.
0: Fantastic take from the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer. We'll highlight some of the viewers and listeners watching. James Watson, hello. He's a UVA graduate. Vanessa Parkhill, who loves Penn State. She's watching in Earliesville. She loves college football. Kate Schartz, Sarah Hill puchensky John Snow, Bernard James, Kevin Higgins, Lonnie Murray, Carol Thorpe, Heather Walker in Johnson Village, Woody Fincham, hello. Dr. John Shabe, owner of Pro Renata, hello and welcome to the program. Dr. Downey. Welcome to the program. Viewers and listeners, you can shape the conversation. Big Ray watching the program. And the Cool Cats. Neil Williamson, hello and welcome to the program. Ask questions. Shape the conversation by putting your thoughts in the feed. Your Twitter account is on fire right now. Um, I'm going to throw this to you here. The only thing this game was missing was the nationally televised coverage. It had drama. It had scoring. It had touchdowns. Good night. Mike Collins' fumble late in the game had everyone on the edge of the seat saying, here we go again. Mm-hmm. Um, it had fantastic coaching from Tony Elliott. It had adjustments. It had time of possession in UVA's favor. Tony Musket, I mean, he played a pretty good ball game, yes. all things considering that pick concerning in the end zone, but a pretty good ball game, all things considering. He's on the road in Chapel Hill against UNC, right? Um, It had everything here. These are what, I I woke up after this game to direct messages, text messages, um, emails for you specifically. Does this victory secure Tony Elliott's future in Charlottesville for another year as head coach of Virginia football?
1: Well, it's difficult to say that. I, I think it probably does. I think, I really don't think he was going to lose his job this year anyway. Uh, no matter what happened at the end now if they had gone one in 11 mm-hmm. and gotten blown out and weren't competitive uh, the big donors became restless weren't convinced that he could get the job done uh, etc that might have put a different light on things but uh, you know if, if they I, I felt like he was m- most likely going to get yet another year uh, just because he signed a, a five- or six-year contract to start with, has like a $19 million buyout, something like that. Um, And, you know, I I don't know if Virginia wants to pay that kind of money to somebody, but, uh, you know, all that's not really relevant because I I don't think it's going to have any – I don't think it's going to play out like that. I I never did, really. I thought Virginia would win two or three games, and – the fact that they beat North Carolina now—if you can beat North Carolina on the road, you can you can beat anybody else on your that's remaining on your schedule. Uh, Miami and Louisville and Duke—I uh, think Duke comes here. Um, Miami and Louisville are, are on the at road at Louisville. Yeah, those two are on the road, and and they won't be easy games because Miami just beat Clemson. Uh, Louisville has been up and down. They beat Notre Dame at home. Um, Duke here will be an interesting game because Duke's pretty darn good, and then you got Georgia Tech here and Virginia Tech here. So the schedule, in some ways, uh, is kind of Virginia. And you got some winnable home games for sure. Uh, but I, I really, I really didn't think he was going to lose his job, anyways. But I think this really. Uh, Puts a cap on it because you know it gives, it showed some of the doubters, and I had a lot of people on my Twitter who have been calling for Tony's head uh, since early on. Eat some crow. They ate they and they willingly ate some crows, and um, and so I think if if that's the attitude of, of some of his harshest critics, then the other people who were sort of on the fence or Believing, as as many of them have said on this program, that give the guy time to get his recruits, and uh, and and things like that, um, I think <clears throat> I think things are weighing heavily in his favor now in terms of of giving hope, and that that's all a fan base needs, I think, is hope that they can be competitive week after week and. And, and this, I would think this would furnish plenty of hope for the rest of this season and down the road. If he can go on and win a couple more games, win four or five games, which virtually no one expected, I don't think. I'm sure there's some of the most diehards out there. And the over-under did. was, what,
0: three and a half at the beginning of the year for victories?
1: Yeah, three and a half. So if he can win four or five, that gives you a lot of promise that, hey, maybe he can turn this thing around.
0: The schedule closes like this. On Saturday, you got Miami in South Florida on the ACC network, 3.30 kickoff. Virginia then hosts Georgia Tech in Scott Stadium, two o'clock kickoff here in Charlottesville. Travel to Louisville on a Thursday night contest. ESPN's gonna offer a national televised audience. Louisville, 7.30 kick. You follow that with Duke the following Saturday in Charlottesville, and you close with the Hokies on the 25th of November. So you close the year with Miami, Georgia Tech, Louisville, Duke, and Virginia Tech. There are winnable ballgames on this schedule. Virginia Tech looks very human. Mm -hmm. Georgia Tech, you would say, is a winnable ballgame.
1: And Georgia Tech, I don't think, has won here since 1990.
0: Georgia Tech, very winnable. Miami, Louisville, and Duke will be some stiff competition of those three. Would you call the Cardinals the most likely opportunity for a win?
1: I'm not sure because you got Duke here. And huh? e- even though Duke has played pretty well, they've, they've lost a couple. They'll probably lose at least another game before they get here, maybe two, because they don't have an easy schedule either. I think they
0: have to play. Uh, I got it right here. Duke's schedule, Hootie's exactly right. Duke has got a a, a difficult schedule to close, and they just lost a, a a tough ball game in Tallahassee to Florida State. Florida State looks like the real deal, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. Um, Duke at Louisville, Hootie hosts Wake Forest at UNC at UVA. Close with Pitt.
1: Yeah. So the, you know they they could be susceptible to another loss or two before they get here, and who knows how that might impact them. And, uh, you know, even though Virginia lost a lopsided game to Duke last year, I believe, um, the games here in Virginia, if Virginia can beat Carolina on the road, certainly they can beat Duke here. I'm not saying that they will, but they certainly can't discount that. Uh, Louisville's been a tough place to play for Virginia. People don't realize because they're kind of, Louisville so far you know seven hours eight hours to our west you really don't hear that much about them um, they have an incredibly great stadium out there that they've built and added on to uh, they have a, a an electric fan base when they're winning that, that that's that's a very daunting place to play and uh, they have some talent they have a good really good coaching staff in there Um So going out on the road to Louisville and winning it is certainly
0: not going to be easy. Um, The Miami game, a 3.30 kickoff. I'm looking at the line now. The Wahoos, an 18.5-point underdog, depending on where you shop. The over-under at 47.5. So UVA is an 18.5-point underdog. Interestingly, UVA and Miami have the same ACC record right now at 1-2. and Mm-hmm. Now, the overall record is inverted. The Hurricanes are 5-2. and two. UVA is 2-5. and five. This is going to be on the ACC network with the 3.30 kickoff on Saturday. I want to ask you five keys to victory that you saw with UVA football against UNC and how some of these keys may be able to, to scale to Miami. You
1: know, uh, I think one of those was the game planning. They, the coaches... Uh, used that bye week not only to get healthy, but they did a lot of self-scouting, evaluated what they were doing, threw some bad things out, put some new things in, and uh, I thought had an incredible game plan for for North Carolina. So I thought that was one of the places they won the game was before they even left town. Uh, Two was an incredible running game. Um, Again, they controlled the line of scrimmage, they controlled the clock, they were able to move the chains, and that's something that's been missing from this program for years. Uh, Bronco could never really get a reliable running game throughout an entire season. Mike London struggled to do that from time to time. You almost have to go back to the early Al Grove era when they had big NFL linemen and some pretty good running backs Um, And and that's a while. I mean, that was back in the early two thousands. I was in college then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, a dominating running game. If they can run the ball like that the rest of the year, they they have that really increases your odds of being successful if you can do that. Um, Three, the defense uh, played bend don't break. Came up with a turnover or two at key times, put some pressure on Drake May. Even though he had a phenomenal numbers night, he wasn't an NFL looking Drake no. May like he had been. Right. Uh, again, you got to give props to the offensive line because they had not been able to get the job done. They certainly did the other night against a, a defense that that uh, has has been intimidating to some other teams so far this year and uh you know I think you also have to look at Malik washington uh the guy's been phenomenal he's he's had uh four or five um uh, one hundred yard games already that that touchdown that that iced well didn't really ice the win because Carolina still had a chance but the go ahead touchdown uh on the pass from Tony Musket down near the Carolina goal line. He ran through four tacklers oh my to get into the end zone, yeah. and uh, he's not a big guy, Jerry. Uh, I, I, I was talking to him after a, a game here. I guess it was the William and Mary game, maybe it was another game, but
0: five foot eight, a buck ninety four list. Yeah, I read your game report. He goes, "I'm not big. <laughs>
1: exactly. I got to figure out how to
0: zigzag through these guys."
1: Yeah, he was he was laughing, and uh, I mean, he ran through four tackles and, and made uh, uh, Tony. Elliot called it a big boy play and it certainly was. Uh this guy's in the top 5 of every NCAA statistic in re- in regards to receiving. Um what a gift he was to come in here from Northwestern and he's an uh an academic guy too. I mean he was all academic Big 10 for 3 years and I'm sure he'll finish out his career at Virginia as all ACC academic. And you got to give some credit to uh Will Sparks the the punter. Uh, he kept Carolina backed up a lot. Booming kicks. Yeah, yeah, he, he had one sixty some yards, and uh, that was a factor too. So uh, Virginia was hitting on just about all cylinders in this win, and uh, you couldn't ask for much more if you're Tony Elliott
0: i got to throw Malik Washington's numbers to you in comparison with his ACC peers. We just got this question from Matthew, who's watching in Norfolk, Virginia, and he said, ask Cootie if this is the best wide receiver in the Atlantic Coast Conference right now. Statistically, Malik Washington, the Northwestern transfer, is the best wide receiver in the ACC. He's got 56 catches. The second closest from a catch standpoint you're looking at a kid out of Miami with 54. He's got 56 Malik Washington. 783 yards through the air. The next closest, 639 thrash from Louisville. He's got six touchdown catches. Six touchdown catches for Malik Washington ranks second to Keon Coleman in Florida State, who's got seven. He's averaging 14 yards a catch. You can put a legit he's averaging 111 receiving yards per contest. Mm. Now, we're not saying he's got the best upside or pro talent. I would probably say that would be the Walker kid from UNC who's played two and a half games. That guy was, that guy's a machine. That guy is clearly a pro playing college football right now. No question. But Malik Washington on paper, Hootie, statistically, we may be looking at the top wide receiver statistically in the Atlantic Coast Conference and a first-team All-ACC performer.
1: Yeah, and I don't think his numbers are going to drop very much because uh, I guarantee you if Carolina couldn't stop him, uh, it's going to be difficult for anybody else to do so. And he's going to get his targets every game because they he, he finds a way to get open from that slot receiver spot. And... Um, he uh he, he's so good with yards after catch because he he runs like a running back. He doesn't run like a a a, lot, a wide receiver. So um his size may hurt him potentially uh toward the NFL, but I I think he'll get a shot. Uh,
0: does he have the upside for the slot?
1: I think he does. Uh again, it, there's there's been guys his size that have made it in the pros. So I think if he 's right with the right team uh if you can catch the ball and and run after the catch there's and, a roster and find spot ways for to you. get open and he has really good speed um, uh there's a roster spot for him out there somewhere uh, is he the best in the NFL, in in the a c c there's probably some other guys like walker and uh, uh florida state miami they they bring in uh talented guys that are will end up in the n f l uh, for sure. So I haven't seen some of those guys in person. Um, so it's hard to say that he's the best, and it depends on what your definition of best is. Is, is he the best college guy right now um, in the ACC? Maybe, maybe. Uh, probably he and Walker, and, and, and maybe a couple of those other guys. But uh, statistically, he's he's beaten all of them. Uh, potentially, in, in terms of NFL. and and all that, uh, there's probably some guys ahead of him, but uh, I'm not sure anything's going to slow him down.
0: Well, I will say this. Malik Washington showed up and really shined at an opportune time because there were a boatload of NFL scouts at that UNC game. Yeah, A boatload. He was targeted 15 times Malik Washington against the Tar Heels, 12 catches, a buck 15 through the air, 115 receiving yards and one touchdown to put that in perspective mr walker the unc standout who's played two and a half games i mean i'm not even sure he 100 percent knows the playbook yet
1: probably not okay yeah.
0: like legitimately this guy's played two and a half games he was targeted 16 times he had 11 catches a buck 46 in receiving yards and a touchdown these guys are very very good pass catchers I love a take from you on Tony Musket. I'll give you his line again. He did have a really bad pick in the end zone. Um, not a good not a good read on that particular play. He finishes 20 of 30, 208 in the air, a touchdown, a pick, and Tony Musket showed some athleticism outside the pocket carrying the football.
1: Yeah, he ran it 12 times for 66 yards and picked up some valuable real estate down there in Keenan Stadium. But, I, you know, I, I thought all along that if Musket was, he didn't have to be a star. He didn't have to be a Drake May for this football team. He just had to be a serviceable guy who could put up some consistent numbers and not beat himself. And that, that's that's pretty much what he's, he, he did the other night. He's
0: managed the game.
1: He'd just manage a game. He's got playmakers, and, and he knows that. He's, he's the first guy who says, "I want to be the point guard of this football team and get the, hands, the ball into the hands of the people, my playmakers." And he's done a good job of that. He was 20 of 30 the other night, and um, th- those are pretty decent numbers, especially uh, on the road, on the road. And again, uh, he's, even though he's playing in pain, we'll probably have to have shoulder surgery at the end of the season. He's not relu- he's not reluctant to take off and run for first downs or, or get needed yardage or or pick up some yards to avoid a sack. Um, when you run, your quarterback runs it 12 times and he's not known as a Bryce Perkins kind of runner or even a Brendan Armstrong kind that's of that's just
0: runner. icing and gravy. Uh,
1: yeah, that that's a big bonus to have your quarterback, especially one with shoulder pain, uh, giving it up for his teammates.
0: I'll throw this, and and anyone who watches this program knows I'm a huge Anthony Calandria fan. He's the first-year quarterback from Florida. He filled in for Musket admirably um, for a handful of games. He's got a lot of upside. I think he's the future quarterback, we hope, of this program. He stays on the team, doesn't transfer the program. My fingers are crossed there. In the first year, with Calandria being a a freshman and Musket having college football experience. You see why the coaching staff may trust a Musket a little bit more now. He takes less chances. He understands the concept of managing the game, of distributing the football, and keeping his team in the contest. A lot of Calandria this season, while he has more upside, more potential than Musket, he has a greater affinity for mistakes and a much larger appetite for risk mm-hmm. than musket
1: it's a bigger learning curve for him um, and and like you said the games he did have to start and play he put up some great numbers and but it was all a learning experience for him i, I think uh from everything i understand it, it, it he and his family realized what tony elliott's plan is for him and are okay with it at least for now and I think he realizes that he does have a bright future here and he he's willing to sit and learn. Um, and I'm sure everybody's keeping their fingers crossed that Musket doesn't get hurt so they don't have to burn that red direction. shirt year because he, he can't play in another game otherwise. Um, but, yeah, uh, Tony Musket, he, he's a very confident kid. He's a, a, a guy of strong faith. He... It's very inspirational to his teammates, and, and they rally around this guy they They see that he's putting everything on the line for them, risking personal injury to get a first down and that you know if, if you're if you're in a huddle with that guy or in the locker room with that guy, he has earned your ultimate respect because uh, he can make plays and the fact that he is willing to put everything on the line to win. And, and this kid loves Virginia. Uh, he grew up in northern Virginia. I think he would have liked to have come here originally but was overlooked in the recruiting process. But the fact that he got a chance to come here and, and, and his, um, his gung-ho wahoo, um, you have to give him the ultimate respect.
0: Uh, Well said. Well said. Kevin Higgins watching the program in Greenwood. He says, it's not the numbers of we are Marshall, but it is we are UVA, and that win was remarkable. Kevin Higgins also says, Tony Elliott has a group of men that believe now. As a coach, you do your best to teach and instill that, but your team has to believe they can beat anyone, any day. The Who's lost three games by seven total points, figuring themselves out. That's over with now. We now have a confident team that believe in each other. Think about what Elliot and his team went through last year. George is looking down. Wow, George Walsh is looking down with pride. Kevin Higgins. Those says. are all
1: all valid points by Kevin there, and and uh, George probably is because he. George uh, thoroughly enjoyed beating Carolina. He probably not as much as he enjoyed beating Duke because he he and Steve Spurrier had this thing <laughs> <laughs> that carried on forever, even after Spurrier was gone. But uh, George rarely lost to North Carolina. He he took that rivalry seriously, and and it is the old South's oldest rivalry for a reason. And it's a shame that it wasn't on the, something. More available than the CW. Uh, they say that's a national network. I guess it is, but not everybody can get it, obviously, I because get it. you couldn't get it. Yeah, um, and we got
0: a boatload of options. Yeah.
1: So, uh, yeah, I, it, it's a shame that, that this isn't a more publicized. I think we mentioned it last week. We couldn't figure out why it wasn't a more publicized rivalry, like Auburn, Alabama. It's the South's oldest rivalry. Yeah. I mean, it's. A, I think there's only. Two other teams in the nation, uh, two other series in the nation that are longer than this one. That, that was the 128th, I think, meeting the other day that goes back to 1892, for goodness sakes. <laughs> Most people didn't even play
0: football back in those days. So um, They're getting national recognition. The, Kirk Herbstreet recognized yeah, this well, as an yeah, upset.
1: They got helmet stickers. They, uh, I know Tony Elliott was somebody's uh, coach of the week. Uh, Des Kitchens was somebody's offensive Coordinator of the week, um, uh, Malik Washington was uh, the East-West Shrine Bowl uh, offensive player of the week. Uh, he and Jackson were ACC players of the week at their positions, so they're getting a lot of plaudits around the country for what they pulled off, and that's only uh, can only build their confidence going forward.
0: This is a great question from Michelle, who's watching in Allentown, Pennsylvania. She says, fellas, how can UVA utilize the Malik Washington transfer portal success story to rebuild this program quickly, especially considering the incoming recruiting class is not that highly touted?
1: Well, that's a good question, and that's something that we've talked about at length on this show in the past. First of all, you got to realize that Malik Washington was uh, a guy in a at Northwestern, a program that
0: is known for academics,
1: known for academics. Yeah. I mean, he was all academic Big Ten for three years in a row. He's a smart kid. He's a very well-spoken kid. Uh, Northwestern was, football team was struggling. Uh, they had some scandal within their program that has, uh, cost, still do. Still do. And they yeah. imagine that quite a few guys left there. Um, he's not your common Transfer portal guy. Right.
0: Uh, he's the perfect guy for UVA.
1: He's perfect for UVA, yeah. and, and uh, maybe Virginia should try to recruit Northwesterns more <laughs> some more Northwesterns <laughs> players. But um, it's difficult, as we've said before. Even though there are so many players in a transfer portal, some of them academically just academically just can't cut it. Here and some of them who probably could some of their transfer uh, their some of their credits won't be accepted by UVA they they won't uh, they won't transfer so that cuts down your pool considerably and and some other guys are looking for nil um, some are not but the ones who are are probably going to look elsewhere because they want a payday and. You're not going to come here and get rich playing football for Virginia at least through the n i l system unless something changes here and, and <clears throat> that's a question for the future but uh i i think I think they probably will put more effort into the transfer portal this time around um I guess it was. It might have been Tony's first experience with that because he was the first-time head coach. Maybe he didn't realize that he needed to lean on that as much as as some other coaches do. Uh, I don't know how much he was involved with that when he was at Clemson as opposed to Dabo and and other people. So uh, I'm sure it's on-the-job training for him too, but that is certainly a way you can fill a lot of holes and rebuild your football team if you can do the proper research and get lucky and, and recruit the kind of guys that want to come here and play again a- academics you can't dismiss that that's a big part of the process
0: jennifer ryan watching the program and she says boys you got to talk about mike collins how about three touchdowns and i'll add to that jennifer thank you for uh, offering your perspective on the show not just three touchdowns but a guy that really set the tone for virginia football yeah. Um, and you can tell, and the coaching staff trust him um, in the red zone. Now, we all saw the fumble. We all saw the fumble late in the game. Um, the fumble had everyone biting their nails and saying, here we go again. Still, this young man, we know the history, 15 carries, 66 on the ground, three touchdowns, a 4.4 yards per carry average. He steps up in the greatest road win arguably in uva history one of the best upsets in uva history very fitting my friend
1: virginia doesn't win that football game without mike hollins there it is and uh you made a really good point a minute just a second ago about the uva coaches trust him particularly down close to the goal line uh he's earned that trust for sure and you know uh it was i don't know when it was was maybe a couple weeks ago um Mike Hollins had come over to the George Welsh Indoor Football Facility. That's where we do our player interviews most of the time after practice. And Jim Davies, their um, media relations director, was there and he sometimes coordinates those interviews and had Mike over there. And uh, he listened in and to the interview, and he, he just made a comment to Mike as he was leaving the, the facility. He said, Yeah, it makes me so happy to see that people are talking to you about football and not last November. And he said, "I wondered if, you know, it's at some point that would happen, and and certainly it should happen now because this guy has proved that he's a player. Uh, Three touchdowns could have been four. Virginia could have won. uh, Virginia could have scored two more touchdowns in that game." Easily. Uh, and nobody felt worse about that fumble, I'm sure, than Mike Hollins did because he doesn't fumble much. And I tell you, he, he's, he and, and the guy that was here for Bronco, Wayne Talapapa, uh, who had a, a, a nose for the end zone once he got down close, he was not to be denied. And Mike Hollins is the same way, man. He gets those tough yards between the tackles. Uh, down on the goal line, and uh, uh, he had some bullish runs where he just runs over people.
0: Well, Hollins does a good job of getting his pads upfield yes. and making a, a decision quickly. Yes. He's not one of those tailbacks that dances in the backfield and risk a lot of tackles for loss. And in the red zone, and especially when you're trying to control time of possession by moving the chains – having a tailback that makes a cut quickly, makes a decision quickly. And he's not a small guy. I mean, this guy, no. this guy packs a punch. Yeah. I, I, I like his running style, especially how it maybe complements some of the other tailbacks on the roster, and I see why he's a trusted guy a hoodie, um, in the red zone. And I don't think the fun bowl is going to dissuade the trust the coaching staff has in Hollins because this guy is not only playing for his team, he's playing for his his fallen brothers.
1: Yes, He's a north-south runner. He's a one-cut guy. He, he doesn't, like you said, he doesn't zigzag or try to do that, anything fancy. He he's he knows where the end zone is. He knows where the first down is, and he goes after it with a fury. And if you're going to stop him, you're going to have to – he's gonna, not going to go down easy. He's going to deliver a lick. <clears throat> so he's, um, he's a tough kid, man. And it's not just physically tough. He's mentally tough. To have come back from what he did, uh, I, I, you know, there, if there's some kind of a national comeback player of the year oh, award, it's him. I know the ACC has won the Brian Piccolo Award, and uh, it, it should be him hands down. I can't imagine anybody who uh, has ever gone through anything quite like that before and come back and and play, not just played, but played well. And, I mean, he's a, he's a force
0: out there. Logan Wells Claylo watching the program. we got viewers and listeners in North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, across the Commonwealth, in Maryland, and in Pennsylvania watching the program as we speak right now. If you have any comments, put them in the feed. We'll get to Grace watching the show. She says she's a UVA graduate of 2006, and she taught, wants to talk about Des Kitchings and what he had to say about Tony Elliott following the win. She said Dez gave immediate props to Coach Elliott and what he has gone through following the victory, and he should be commended for that.
1: Yeah, no question about it. Dez is a good guy. He's fun to talk to. I talk to him
0: uh, every week. I'll
1: probably miss it tomorrow because uh, I'll be down in Charlotte for the basketball media day. But uh, I'm sure Dez is very close to Tony Elliott, them being – offensive guys like they are and doing a lot of game plans together. Not to say that the other offensive coaches aren't or the defensive coaches, but uh, I think there's probably, uh, when you've been an offensive coordinator like Tony Elliott was at Clemson for a decade, uh, there's probably a, a closeness to your your offensive coordinator, uh, as in Des, And uh, Dez has, has caught a lot of heat. Uh, as has Tony, uh, A lot of people pinned last year's offensive woes and some of this year's offensive problems on Des. Uh, so he's, he's been open to criticism, and, and he has obviously seen the criticism that Tony Elliott has had, and Tony hasn't well, he, he may have had it impact him, but he's kept it to himself. Uh, he's always smiling when we see him at uh, any meetings we have with him and a uh, positive attitude. And uh, Des mentioned that after the after the game that Tony had been through so much, maybe more so than anybody coaching today uh, from the events of, of last November's tragedy. And for him to be able to Get the team through that, and his coaching staff through that, and himself through that, and to never give up, and to keep encouraging the team and telling them that. Uh, uh, you saw a clip last night of of Tony before the Carolina game, greeting each player as they came out of the tunnel and saying, "Hey, this is what you dream of. This is this is why we're here. You know, this is why you play football. Uh, never give up." get your game face on. You know, he was encouraging. Um, <clears throat> you can't say enough about uh, him and these other coaches for keeping um, a positive attitude and keeping these kids inspired because it could have easily gone the other way.
0: They showed highlights um, during the game and post-game on on television of Coach Elliott interacting with the players um, on the sidelines and, and before the contest. and. Everything you just said is very well-spoken. He has faced so much adversity and crossfire. But in the pre and the, uh, the warm-ups, he's high-fiving his players. He's got the biggest smile on his face. And he was able to manage that adversity by putting on a face of, let's go out and have fun. He, he, he may have the weight, on the weight of the world on his shoulders, but that energy was not conveyed to the roster. And that's a sign of a, a fantastic coach to be able to either code switch or manage a, um, manage stress the right way where it's not conveyed to the players. I think you gave a quote last week about Deion Sanders, um, and it was like, uh, a head coach may be feeling something, but the general on the sidelines is never rattled because the players can feel that energy.
1: Exactly. And, uh they, they believe me, they, those kids pay attention to their coaches and they can detect if there's a, a weakness or or a, a lack of belief or or anything like that. And, and uh, how many times have we seen it around the country where uh, a coach will get rattled and...
0: Throw his headset.
1: ...be losing his mind on the sidelines when things don't go right, and, and it... it it reflects back to the team. They 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 begin to lose their cool. They lose. They get shaken. They lose their confidence. Uh, Tony Elliott's not like that. I mean, he he's had his moments when he was frustrated because for a while there, it seems like every break went against him. And some questionable calls, I think, at times this year that's hurt them. Uh, so uh, you know, there, there's been some frustration certainly, but uh, and, and the fact that some of his some of his own players were their own worst enemies at times, and I think that was one of the big points of emphasis during the bye week. And Des talked about this at length, and Tony did too. Is that they spent a lot of that time just explaining to the kids that hey, if we stop these dumb penalties. We stop making mistakes. We stop helping the other team in crucial situations. We're we're not that far away. We've been close, and and we've killed ourselves with uh, losing our cool and and punching a guy after the whistle or or doing NC some, State. Yeah, doing just
0: was it four turnovers in the fourth quarter for Calandria against Maryland? Yeah. You know, the NC three State... Three straight possessions, yeah. Three straight possessions. NC State, uh, uh, you know, hate to use names when it's college players. They're not pro players. you got an offensive guard punching somebody after a touchdown. you got a helmet removal. That gives better field position. I mean, I know hindsight's twenty twenty in a big-time college football. There are no moral victories, but Kevin Higgins did make the point. They were in a lot of ball games.
1: They had double-digit leads in three games and, and lost.
0: Right. Double-digit leads in three games and loss. So this season could have been been very different. Um, Kevin Yancey, he likes to play the Bear. He says, sorry, you can scheme up for UNC, but not JMU or Boston College. I mean, we, we understand your points there, Kevin. Um, but at the same time, this team has got a, a brand-new head coach and still is trying to work its way through a different system. Multiple folks are saying that while Tony Elliott has saved his job fact that this is coming in from three different Facebook pages here. I'll paraphrase from three of them. Um, Thomas, I'll read yours, and two others are echoing what you're saying. While he certainly has saved his job, and I was one of those folks that was calling for his removal, and now I have to, as Hootie said, eat some crow, I do think there should be some coaching staff changes uh, to this football team. You agree with that?
1: I think it's premature at this point to do that I, let's play out the season and see what happens and i
0: think he's alluding to assistance here
1: I'm, I'm sure he is and um and you know that's that's something that tony Elliott's probably looking at uh, from an evaluation standpoint of whether he needs to make any adjustments in that department um scheming up for jmu I, I i you know I think Virginia would like to play that game. They like to have a mulligan against JMU, I believe. Uh, and NC State. And NC State. But, you know, as good as JMU is, had that storm not come about, I don't think JMU would have won that football. 100%. Uh, I, I, Virginia had them on their heels.
0: The, the storm changed the entire momentum changed and outcome. Enti- and, and,
1: and, Credit to JMU; they used that to their advantage and outcoached Virginia the final twelve minutes of that game. But had that storm not come about, Virginia would have maybe have won that thing going away. So, uh, I, you know,
0: I mean, you talk I'm NC not State. Not trying to
1: take anything away from
0: JMU, sure. but You got to be real here. You talk NC State and a mulligan. NC State they lost by three points, and the offensive guard and and, and, and the backup quarterback. Contributing to penalties that led to that outcome. Yeah. With Brennan Armstrong driving the field. Brennan Armstrong, interestingly, uh, had seen some better days in Raleigh. That's a side note. Boston College, a 27 24 loss to the Eagles. I mean, they're in that. They, you can make a legitimate argument that if things had changed differently, they'd be on a four game winning streak right now heading into Miami.
1: It's, it's, it's conceivable, yes. Very no conceivable.
0: About it. Um, um, this has been a question for you uh, from multiple people. So who's the best team in the conference? And and we highlighted it as the best and the rest for Hootie. It's
1: got to yeah, be Florida State, Well, it right? is Florida State. I mean, they're undefeated. They're 7-0. and They've had some moments where they didn't look as solid as, as you would expect a, a top five team to be. But there's no question they have the personnel on that team that they have a roster that, that's the envy of everybody in the league. Uh, Clemson used to have that kind of a roster. They, they've they dropped off a bit. And I, I mean, whoever thought we'd see Clemson at two and three in the conference, uh, if you said that a couple of years ago, you would think something disastrous had happened there instead of in Charlottesville. But um, Florida State, without a question, is, is the best team in the league. I thought North Carolina might be able to rival them because Carolina has a, a lot of playmakers. But their defense obviously isn't as good as we thought it was. And Drake May can be beaten. Um, they didn't have their heads on right. And if they want to finish and play Florida State and Charlotte for the ACC title, they're going to have to get their heads on right. And I'm sure Mac Brown, being the Hall of Fame coach he is, will use this to his advantage because now he has their attention. If you talk to any coach, there's nothing to get his player's attention more than a loss because then all of a sudden, hey, maybe he was right, maybe we didn't listen to him enough. we need to play pay closer attention, and so I'm sure he'll use that to his advantage um Louisville's tied with Carolina at three and one for second place, and they're like i said they're they're stuck out there in the west <laughs> um. We don't, West of the ACC. Yeah, I mean, we just – you don't hear that much about them. You see them on TV from time to time. But uh, I, they've got some players, and they've got a good coaching staff. They've got a great fan base. Uh, are, are they as good as advertised? I don't know. There's, they've looked shaky at times. But then they, they turn around and beat Notre Dame at home. And it, that game uh, – it was never in doubt in the second half, I didn't think. Um, Duke is 2-1 and one in the league along with Virginia Tech. Um, Tech really hasn't played the meat of their schedule yet, I don't think, in terms of the better teams in the conference. Duke is sort of a question mark. They beat Clemson early, but it's not looking quite as flashy and shiny now as it did the opening weekend of the season because uh, club... Uh, Klubnik, the Clemson quarterback, hasn't been everything that we thought he was. And Clemson hasn't been everything we thought they were going to be either. So uh, Duke is solid. They're a good football team, don't get me wrong. But uh, there's more to be told in that case. So uh, right now I think it's Florida State hands down over,
0: over anybody else. If you had a, if you had a crystal ball, Florida State, who in the ACC championship? You stick it to UNC?
1: I still think it's UNC. Um, if they can get their act together, if they can learn from this loss, which they should, uh,
0: the reason I they think still have to
1: play Duke. And, right. But, uh, again, we don't know if Duke is as good as advertised either.
0: The reason I think it's UNC, I think the addition of, of Trez Walker makes them even more – Explosive on offense and dynamic. And I don't think we've truly seen Trez Walker assimilated into this offense to the proficiency or, of, or efficiency that he will be at the end of the year. I think you're right. Um, and, and, and I think May now has some bulletin board material himself where he's going to look to rebound and really show the scouts that this was an anomaly and not indicative of, of his NFL upside and i think may has got a, a a tremendous nfl uh future ahead of him so we're both thinking a north carolina florida state acc championship as of now this question's come on the feed jonathan we appreciate you watching i believe this is the third straight show he's commented on he says where do the wins come for the rest of the year for uva football
1: well i i said it, we've said all along that i, I thought they had Really good shots here against Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech. I, I still believe that. Uh, Georgia Tech, you know, they're they're developing as they go, but I, I think uh, the fact that that game is here, Virginia has had their number. They've, I don't, I don't think. I may be wrong about this, but I don't think Georgia Tech has won here since 1990. Uh, so they they have a little about coming to Charlottesville. One of
0: the greatest comebacks I've ever seen was the hook and ladder against the, the Ramblin' Rack.
1: That's right. Uh, Scott Mike, Stadium. Mike Groh called that play. I'll yep. never forget. Uh, Alvin Pierman. To Alvin Pierman. And, uh, you know, Virginia Tech at the end of the year, it, it, you know, Virginia Tech seems to take this rivalry more seriously than Virginia. I, you know, you got to question whether it is really a rivalry because it's so lopsided as opposed to the Virginia-North Carolina uh, thing where Virginia's won five of the last seven. But uh, I, I would think those two are strong possibilities. It's going to be tough at Miami, even though Virginia's got some momentum going its way. You're playing down in South Florida, but they've always seemed to give Miami a, a good close game. Even There's a couple times in the last five years they should have won at Miami. They just couldn't score, and i i don't know that that'll be the case this Saturday or not. And I think Virginia has enough confidence now, and if this offensive line can continue to punch holes in the defense they'll they'll have a, they'll find ways to score down in in uh, hard rock stadium but um, it's going to be tough out at Louisville uh, again, they could sneak up on everybody and end up in the ACC championship game because nobody's counting on them. And then uh, I think the the game here against Duke, I think Virginia's got a good chance of winning that game. If they can continue to build off of this win and get better and, and develop the running game, I think the whole key to it for the rest of the season is if they can continue to run the football successfully. Because if you can do that, you can. Takes the pressure off a musket. You can, you can, yeah, absolutely. And it helps his play action. It helps his nakeds and bootlegs. Yeah. Um, It opens up a whole new world of offense if you can run the football consistently.
0: I mean, musket may not have the upside to be um, a quarterback that the team can can ride his shoulders and his arm to to the winner's circle. But Mus- Musket has clearly shown that he has the skill set to be a game manager. Yes. And if, 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 if they get a, a run running attack, a rushing attack like they did against UNC, then, then Musket is that now going to have a safety that's in the box to stop the run, which is going to open up opportunities downfield. He's going to have a front seven, a front eight that's going to be playing rush, which is going to open up the screen. It's going to allow him, like Hootie said, to get outside the pocket and throw on the run without a big boy in his face. I mean, it's, it's clear they were committed to the run here. Jennifer Hux is watching the program, and she says the, the hook and ladder, also known as the Emory and Henry play. Uh, watching the program right I didn't, there. I, mean, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. I, I learned something every day. We both did right there from our fantastic viewers and listeners. My friend, we are at the 1123-minute marker. Time flies as we're having fun. We want to talk hoops. ACC Basketball Media Day is tomorrow in Charlotte. The Virginia Sports Hall of Famer Jerry hootie Ratcliffe, will be there in Charlotte. What are you going to be watching of ACC Basketball Media Day tomorrow?
1: Yeah, my son Scott and I will both be
0: there. Um First, where are you going for food? The really tough question. Cuz you got I, all the good eateries Hootie, on the ACC trail. Well,
1: you know, I I don't know if you you've been to this thing, but it's it's uh it's different than some other media events because you're in a hotel room. Okay. You get there at uh 8:30 or 9:30 in the morning, uh register. They have breakfast, a uh, breakfast buffet, and then they have a lunch buffet. But other than that, you're in those meeting rooms from the time you get there until so it's no time, time to, for until food. it's time to leave. Uh, you eat there in the, in the facility, okay? And uh, so there, there's there's no excess time to be burned. You're talking to they're going to have um, what uh, fifteen coaches and thirty to forty players there um, rotating throughout the day. And the way they do it, they have a big auditorium, and they'll, each team will come in for 15 or 20 minutes. The coach will get about 10 minutes for questions, players five minutes each to the general audience. Then comes, I, I, that part is okay, but my favorite part is that then they go into a breakout room where you've got Tony Bennett at one table. Uh, you'll have...
0: Uh, you got to imagine Reese Bigman. Reese Bigman at yeah. another
1: table and Ryan Dunn at another table. And you'll have them for, it used to be an hour, but I think Tony's complained about <laughs> having to sit there and talk that long. So I think it's 30 minutes, maybe a little more than 30 minutes now that where you can just sit there and, and with whoever you want to talk to, or you can rotate and, uh, and ask your questions or listen to questions or whatever. So you get a good feel for what's going on with the program and uh, you do that with 15 different coaches, it's going to be interesting to see what next year is going to be like with 18 uh, coaches and God knows how many players down there when the uh, three new teams come in. Sounds like you're going to be They there. may have to split it up <laughs> over two days instead of just one day. I was so going to say. That, it's one of the longest days of your life because you, uh, at some point you just get uh,
0: overload. <laughs> <laughs> but you get a lot of sound. You do, you do. Sure. Um, the question: Where are the who's going to be picked in the preseason? Tony Bennett's got a loaded roster. Um, does the media pick the who's in the top one, two, or three slots?
1: Possibly third. I think. Okay. I think the media will probably vote, and, and some of this is because of where it's at. It's in Charlotte, uh, so there's going to be more media from the North Carolina. Areas there to vote um, so uh Terry Holland once said this, and he said uh, you know to to win any a c c honors as a player or to win anything in the ACC vote as a team, you've got to be twice as good as North Carolina and duke or or whoever to to because you got to convince people outside of North Carolina to vote for you but uh, I imagine Duke and Carolina will probably be voted 1 2. Uh, that third spot will probably be up between Miami and UVA, would be my guess. And then uh, it, it'll be a scramble a- after that. But I, I imagine those will be your
0: top four. Um, this basketball team, absolutely loaded. Uh, we covered this last week, but I'm seeing the questions here on the comment feeds from the viewers and listeners. They're saying, "What's the starting five looking like for you?" We did cover this last week. The show archive, guys. Everywhere you get your uh, your social media, um, we said Beekman and McNeely.
1: Yeah, I think that will be your two uh, backcourt guys, and then uh, we talked Dunn, Dunn, and uh, Leon Bond. Leon Bond, and I think I think they'll start out at least with. Uh, Justin uh, Jordan Miner, a six foot has, eight,
0: two hundred forty two pound bruiser,
1: as a center, and and you know that they can move a lot of bodies in and out of there with uh, Blake Buchanan. Even though he's a freshman, he's six ten. He, he's a stretch four, even though he's a big guy. Um, but I think I think um, Tony is not opposed to playing a lot of the small the smaller lineups as we saw last year and. I think college basketball is probably trending that way to where you don't need a seven-foot-two guy in the middle all the time. So is the NBA. Yeah, NBA as well. Um, and that's drifted down to college basketball. So I think Tony likes the fact that he has uh, four guys, sometimes five guys that can handle the ball, can shoot, can move, and can play defense. And uh, you can still rebound that way. You You, you might – find it difficult if you run into a really big opponent who's also athletic like they did against Carolina uh, a couple of times in the last couple of years and, and some of the other teams like that, but uh, I think he's more concerned about getting the, the ball in the basket, and I think he has enough shooters around now that that we're going to see a lot of bodies playing uh, from early on. I, I think he'll play 9, 10, 11 guys in November, at least in the non, some of the powder puff games,
0: a victim games,
1: um, just to see what the chemistry is and
0: what lineups work together. I love it. I love it, guys. Basketball right around the season, right around the corner. Um, this team is loaded. I think the future is bright. This man's website is the place for anything UVA-related. The URL, jerryrackliff.com I'm on jerryrackliff.com every single day, multiple times a day. Uh, was it Tarleton State to open the season on the s- first Monday? The Monday before Election Day. So that would be the 6th of November.
1: I think that's correct.
0: They got Tarleton State. Um, so we got basketball literally 13 days away, Hootie.
1: Just be here before you know it. 13 days away.
0: <laughs> this man's schedule, press conference today. Scott Stadium.
1: I uh, no, it's over at uh, JPJ. Actually. Uh, JPJ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then
0: you're going Media Day in Charlotte, Wednesday. You back Thursday? Um, yeah. Back Thursday. Mm-hmm. You busy man.
1: It, this is the time of year that's.
0: Uh, the overlap.
1: That really uh, ages sports writers. I was going to say. The overlap.
0: The november's o- are brutal overlap right now especially when you got a basketball team like uva that is uh very bright with its upside my friend this is a joy time flies when you're having fun any uh closing thoughts for the for your for your fans
1: uh just uh we appreciate your viewership of this show and appreciate you visiting our website and and listening to our podcasts we'll have some of those this week and uh uh thank you for your questions you you know, I, I listen to other talk shows sometimes around the country, and uh, sometimes they get some really dumb questions. Our our audience is intelligent, man. They ask really good, thoughtful questions, and they're, you're you're smart, and we
0: appreciate that. Well said. Well said. We give props as well, both of us do, to uh, Judah Wickhauer. The man behind the uh, The technology. The The man. Man. The Elmers over there, Judah (laughs) Wickhauer. This is the Jerry and Jerry Show. Find it anywhere you get your social media, Tuesdays at 10, 15 in the morning. Thank you kindly for joining us. JerryRackliffe.com for anything Wahoo related. The I Love Seville show is up in approximately 59 minutes. Thank you kindly for joining us on a Tuesday, and go Wahoos. Take care, everyone. that was awesome.